Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast explores the intersection where art meets the world. This week, NASA invites us to celebrate the historic 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon mission. Three, two, one, zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. To honor the moon, the stars, and the sun, we revisit a live studio show we designed to revolve around the 2017 total solar eclipse. As you'll hear, the weather threw us slightly off course. We streamed this program on Jolt Radio for the first time September 6, 2017, four days before Hurricane Irma hit Florida. To recenter our thoughts on the cosmos, we introduce a conversation recorded in Berlin with German artist Agnes Meyer Brandis about her gravity experiments and raising moon geese. We share communal experiences of the 2017 solar eclipse. And we talk about a cosmic set of science art films. Today, our show is celebrating the 2017 total solar eclipse. I loved it, and a lot of people loved it because it was something we could actually set our clocks by. The sun and the moon fulfilled their promise to intersect at precisely the moment predicted. But so much about our world is unpredictable these days. And right now, everyone in South Florida is really distracted. If you're listening from the other side of the planet, you might not know there's a level 5 hurricane named Irma charging across the Caribbean and heading toward Miami. We don't know if the storm will make a direct hit here or not, but we have to act like we expect it. I invited Jorge Perez Gallego and Kevin Arrow to join me in the studio because they play very important roles in the new Frost Museum of Science in downtown Miami. Jorge is a scientist, designer, and educator with a PhD in astronomy and a master of fine arts and design. And Kevin has over 20 years' experience working as a collection manager, museum registrar, and visual artist. He's a culture producer in Miami. They won't be able to join me today because they're getting ready for Irma. Jorge will be calling in later to remember his experience of the eclipse from the path of totality and talk a little about the connection between art and science at the Frost Museum. But back to our conversation about the sun and the moon. Let's set the stage with a conversation I recorded in Berlin in 2013 with German artist Agnes Meyer Brandis. Agnes fuses pure science and creativity to explore the zone between fact and fiction, fantasy and technology. I meet her inside the control tower of the former Tempelhof Airport. 
She tells me about a very special project she launched during the full solar eclipse of 2008. Listeners, think back. Where were you on August 1st, 2008? Were we... I don't even remember where I was. Exactly. But it was, it's my birthday week, so I must have been somewhere good. But the eclipse, I read up on it. It was visible along a corridor through northern Canada, Nunavut, Greenland, central Russia, Kazakhstan, Mongolia, and China. So that is not the eclipse we had last week. Uh, if it's occurring north of the Arctic Circle, the eclipse is called a midnight sun eclipse. I think this is all very cool. The largest city on the path was in Russia. Let's listen to what Agnes Meyer Brandis got up to during that solar eclipse. The Mungis are a very special migration bird. And they were um, firstly mentioned in a book by an English bishop, Francis Goodwin. And um, in written uh, in 1598, and uh, within this book, the main character is traveling uh, to the moon with the help of moon geese. So moon geese are migration birds who travel annually, not like other migration birds, from Spain to Africa. Moon geese uh, migrate annually from the earth to the moon. And um, I stumbled along this book when I was preparing my project in weightlessness because Francis Goodwin was the first who described the phenomena of weightlessness in this book. That's really interesting because it was before Newton defined gravity. Um, I was uh, wondering what happened to the Moongis in the 21st century. Do they still exist? Do, do they still migrate to the moon? or? or have they been stranded like many other migration birds? Did they ever fly and, and do they still fly? So I um, started with the first experiment uh, with Moongies, which took place in 2008 during the total solar eclipse in uh, Novosibirsk, uh, Siberia. And there I um, um, reenacted the flight setup of Francis Goodwin with Moongies. Um, on a small island in the river Op, near Novosibirsk. And um, of course, finding Mungis in, in Siberia wasn't easy at all. It's a story of its own. But anyway, we, we were able to realize the experiment during the, total, uh, uh, during the total eclipse. And it was really interesting. But of course, it arose a lot of questions. So uh, since then, I'm... I'm busy, or <laughs> the Moongis are in my head, and uh, I had to continue uh, my, my observation of Moongis. And I started in 2011 to breed, uh, to grow up and to breed my own Moongis. And um, I started this on a farm in Italy called Pulinaria. So we, we got uh, the eggs. We named the eggs directly with uh, astronaut names or other space-related uh, names and uh, bred them in, in an artificial breeding machine. 30 days later, 11 moongies hatched and we started already three days after the hatching with our astronaut training. 
uh, which took place over the whole year. There are several several methods, uh, training methods, such as the mobile moon, mobile moon training or with the V, because flying in V formation is very important. So, so the birds save energy um, for traveling long distances, and so on. There's uh, several several uh, astronaut methods we were training and. Um, since the end of last year, the next training step is the analog training. Um, I don't know if I should explain the, an analog training in general. Analog training is, or analogs are places uh, on Earth or in space which contain uh, uh, similar characteristics. So um, there are places, places or situations here on Earth where astronauts train uh, and, and where they can get confronted with these uh, conditions they will uh, meet when they travel to space. And what we have um, for the Moongies is like a moon analog we built. It's like a lunar landscape and habitat and also containing several experiments. And Moongies... Uh, are living there since uh, last year. Agnes conducted research for the Institute of Applied Falling before she created the installation I visited at the airport. Since Tempelhof closed to commercial traffic in 2008, it's been the site of festivals, performances, art fairs, and exhibitions. But Agnes is the first artist ever allowed into the control tower. Within my artistic work, as, as I already mentioned, the I have already developed several control rooms, like for moon geese, for humans, and so so on. For, uh, for me, the uh, control room is more a method, and I was very interested in looking for in Berlin to to uh, realize my work inside a real <laughs> control tower. I know the installation was quite impressive. Uh, console, the chairs, the array of monitors and radar equipment and a simulated experiment with an immediate replay. <laughs> Very ambitious. And I went up the spiral stairs that lead to the control room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I don't know how you did it. Yeah, we had to... Uh, we had to bring small pieces up and put them together <laughs> on, on site. The installation displays current results from your laboratory of applied falling, which is mm -hmm. one that I found quite interesting, that cites Apollo 15, an experiment done on the moon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was uh, in 1971. Scott... Uh, did an experiment on the moon where he dropped a hammer and a feather to prove uh, Galileo's thesis uh, that uh, all objects, uh, they have the same speed velocity in an uh, air empty uh, room. So he thought the moon would be a good place to uh, prove Galileo. And I really love this experiment. It's For me, it's more like a space theater. And... Um, 
but I took the hammer and a feather and uh, I took it as a method to um, develop my own um, gravitational measurement tool. I built a, a, a fall tower, let's say, which is on display at the control tower, um, where the hammer and the feather uh, fall <laughs> automatically. Endless, it's an endless falling uh, routine uh, to observe uh, the gravity situation on, on site. And because the fall takes place so speedily, you cannot see it. We have also have developed a special uh, slow motion uh, apparatus or instant slow motion camera, <laughs> like you said, uh, that uh, that we can observe the fall and its uh, specialities uh, in detail during this slow motion. So, what are your initial findings from the endless? Experiment. I mean, the, uh, so far I can say that we we have we don't have gravity is not everywhere the same. Well, in my left hand I have a, a feather, in my right hand a hammer. And I guess one of the reasons uh, we got here today was because of a gentleman named Galileo a long time ago, who made a rather significant discovery about falling objects in gravity fields, and we thought that uh, where would be a better place to confirm his uh, findings and on the moon. And uh, so we thought we'd try it here for you. Uh, the feather happens to be appropriately a falcon feather for our falcon. And I'll uh, drop the two of them here and hopefully they'll hit the ground at the same time. How about that? Good morning. This is Fresh Art International on Jolt Radio. We just shared a podcast episode that I recorded with German artist Agnes Meyer Brandis about her experiments at the intersection of art, science, technology, and fantasy. You can hear the full conversation on freshartinternational.com or anywhere you go for podcasts. Agnes is the perfect lead into today's program about our recent total eclipse. She began raising moon geese during the 2008 eclipse. Now let's turn our attention to what took place in the United States on Monday, August 21st, 2017. We are about to share bi-coastal encounters with the event. We'll begin with the 80% experience in Miami. I participated in the watch party at the Philip and Patricia Frost Museum of Science. The museum opened just a few months ago, and I understand after they reported over 8,500 visitors that day, the most attendance they've had since they opened. The best spots for viewing the eclipse were through solar telescopes on Science Plaza that's on the, the lower level. The sixth floor, there's a rooftop terrace, and I spent a lot of time up there. And then indoors, there were monitors where they were live-streaming the NASA Eclipse megacast. I live on the beach, so I hopped on a bus and I arrived mid-morning. This was my first visit ever to the new museum, and team members Everett Ford and Monique Gonzalez took a few of us on a private tour, beginning with the aquarium. I'm going to share right now what I encountered that day at the Frost. 
we're excited about the eclipse today. It's going to be, Fantastic. the feeling is electric. We're going to be going up to the fourth floor, and that's going to be the start of our tour. It's on our rooftop, so that's the R that's on the and you go to the this way to the north side. For the eclipse, you can either go to the rooftop or go down to the science plaza. Both are gonna be equal viewing. Let's explore over here. We have a stingray touch pool with a beautiful view of government cut and some of the islands. And we have our aviary. This is the Gulf Stream Aquarium. We have, um, we have there's uh, some sharks in here, some rays, uh, and we have... We have some devil rays. We have about four or five baby hammerheads. We have one tiger shark. We have a couple of mahi. Um, and really, it's supposed, it's supposed to represent what people would find in the deeper waters without having to get on a boat. It really gives them a taste of what's out there. And the way the aquarium is built is to explore just like you would. We see it on one level, but as we go down to the third level, you get a different perspective and even down to the second level. We descend to immerse ourselves in a gorgeous underwater world. I seize the moment to capture the voices of two media professionals I just met. Patricia Herrera, an independent journalist, and Andrea Yanis of Honduras, reporting for Cercano Central American News Agency, Over there, there's a little pop-up bubble. You can go step in there. We're inside a pop-up bubble, and we get a close-up of That's fantastic. the fish. And the echo is very good. The echo is amazing. Yes. <laughs> okay, I think I need to introduce my fellow <laughs> travelers through this experience. It's going to be a historical event. I'm really, I'm very happy to be with all of you. I'm I, I can tell you something, that the people are very excited, and this is the perfect spot to be in Miami. Absolutely. It's true, I'm seeing all of the people buying the tickets, uh, interesting in the museum also, not just in the solar eclipse, but in the ambience of the museum, and everyone is very happy, and I couldn't think of a better place than this museum, and near Bayside, near the Bay of Miami, to witness this historical event. One of the museum's temporary exhibitions offers an out-of-gravity experience, perfect for a day when thousands have flocked here to witness a spectacular astronomical event. This is one of our traveling exhibitions. So we bring something new every six months or so into this. It's our largest gallery. It's about 10,000 square feet. Right now we have space, and it's all about the challenges that astronauts face in space. How do they eat? How do they fix things? How do they get trained? What kind of equipment do they have on them? And it's fascinating. It's very interactive. Here, so I'll take you guys
We choose to go to the moon in this campaign and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. For a period of about 20 minutes today, astronaut Edward White walked in space. I'm under my own control. Okay, I'm turning over. Good day from ABC Space Headquarters in New York. It is July 20th, 1969. Man is about to land on the moon. That's one At 1.26 p.m., I joined the international viewing party on the solar terrace. Donning my special glasses, I look up to watch the beginning of the eclipse. I am on the rooftop of the Frost Art Museum in Miami. It is so exciting to be here with all these people. When I walk downstairs to take a break from the sun, I run into Carl Hildebrand, a friend from the Miami art scene. Tell me what you think so far. I'm overwhelmed by the interest of South Florida in the eclipse, and uh, it's a singles event, it's a family event. Uh, I'm hearing so many different types of languages around here, and it's great. We're, we're up here on the patio, and it's packed. People love being part of a legendary moment. Sure, yeah. It is quite legendary. Uh, and what was great to see the stamp unveiling downstairs. It's a beautiful, embossed work of art. What have you seen so far? I mean, have you looked at the sun? You've got the right glasses. I have been seeing a sliver. Everybody seems to be properly equipped that's looking up. I see some sunscreen being applied, hats, uh, and of course these special glasses. So people are taking precaution and everyone looks uh, quite fashionable. Yes, of course, they do, don't in, they? in Miami style. <laughs> A few minutes later, I get the chance to ask the museum's president, Frank Steslow, how it feels to share the total eclipse with so many visitors. It's fantastic today. Um, you know, the turnout is sort of beyond what we would have expected. Um, but it's great to see the interest in science that, that the eclipse brings. You know, and it's an opportunity for us to engage the public and talk about lots of other issues. If you're interested in the eclipse, you know, the eclipse was used um, to help fundamentally prove Einstein's theory of relativity. So, you know, kind of what better opportunity is there to bring science into the conversation? Absolutely. And the show I'm producing with this day, from this day, is The Art of the Eclipse. And what a perfect uh, storm, so to speak, of 
beauty and nature and people yep. coming together for something legendary. Yeah, it's uh, for, for many people once in a lifetime. Um, you know, so again, it's just, it, as you said, it's a community event. It's brought people together. But more importantly for us, it brings people to science um, and, and gets them to appreciate some aspect of it. And I loved how you unveiled the uh, Eclipse stamp today as a special ceremony. Yeah, what a spectacular stamp. It's a gorgeous I mean, the, piece of art. The first little heat-sensitive uh, stamp that, that the post office put out, really kind of creative and launching it with the eclipse, um, the way that it transforms from the sun to the moon, uh, just really, really special. It's incredible. Yeah, uh, we're grateful that they thought of us uh, for the unveiling. I return to the roof deck to view maximum coverage at 2.58 p.m. In Miami, Florida, we're able to see the moon block out 80% of the sun. I turn on my recorder to capture more of the excitement. It's standing room only up here. Everyone is peering up through special glasses or looking down at their homemade pinhole cameras. I bump into two more locals, Evelyn Zapata and Eve Miranda. Evelyn works with me at Fresh Art International. What do you think about this experience? I'm so excited to see it. I've never seen anything like it. And what I love is, I mean, everybody's here to witness it and experience it in something that, at least in my lifetime, I might not have the chance to see again. I think it, it suits very well for, like, the, the new museum that we got this year, you know? So, every, like, it's, uh, it's, how do you say, like, available, like, easy for people to come. My last conversation is with a young man named Dominic. I'm curious about the box that he's gazing into. Okay, tell me how this works. It looks like a cereal box with some tin foil. Yeah, it is. So what you do, you poke a hole here. You put aluminum foil, you tape it on with the cereal box, you cut that here. And then you take a piece of paper, you cut it onto a rectangle, and you see there that's a piece of paper. So then, with the aluminum foil, you'll poke a hole in it. And then if you look in, and if you have it aimed at the sun, you can see a little white blob. You can? Yeah. I think maybe this... It's kind of... It's like a reflection. Did you see it? Is it working? Yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, it's working. It's like a reflection. Sort of right. There's a pinhole over here. This guy made a pinhole, but yours is very interesting. Did you see this? Elaborate. Uh, you see it inside. Apparently a reflection, too. This is the news? This is Fresh Art International. I have a radio show, and I'm doing the Art of the Eclipse radio show. And you're going to be on it. What's your name? Dominic. Dominic? And are you based here in Miami? You live in Miami? Uh, no, I actually live in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, okay. And you came down here for this event? Mm-hmm. Super. Yes, ma'am. You're listening to Fresh Art International live streaming on Jolt Radio. That was my 80% visibility experience of the recent eclipse at the Frost Science Museum in downtown Miami. I am going to be lucky. Uh, Jorge Perez Gallego is calling in from the frost. Good morning, Jorge. Good morning. 
Jorge is the museum's curator of astronomy, and he flew out to the West Coast to witness the totality. How are you doing today, Jorge? I'm doing okay. First of all, I would like to apologize for not being able to be in the studio. Um, and I would also like to extend an apology on behalf of my colleague, Kevin Arrow. Uh, we are dealing with um, hurricane preparations, both at our homes and the museum. And it's, it's been a, a stressful time uh, so far. Yes, I know. We were talking earlier about the unpredictable, un- unpredictable quality of this weather. Yeah, unlike unlike hurricanes, uh, eclipses, which is the subject matter of your show today, are, can be predicted way in advance. Uh, we can predict when the next one will be. We, we can predict when an eclipse will happen in 10, 20, 50, 100 years from now. Unfortunately, hurricanes are not that predictable, and we need to prepare always for the worst and, and then hope that that's not the outcome. That's right. So let's distract ourselves a little bit from the current events to talk about where you were that day of the total, so, ecli- the day of the total eclipse. Yeah. So being an astronomer and astrophysicist myself, um, since I had not experienced a total eclipse before, I had experienced several partial eclipses, an annual eclipse, but I had never experienced a total solar eclipse. Being here so close to the path of totality, I decided to go under it to see if the differences that people were telling me about were truly there, if the experience of a total eclipse was like that different from the experience of partial eclipse. And? So I went (laughs) all the way to uh, outside of Madras, Oregon, under the path of totality, and I can tell you now that While in order to get a total eclipse, you need first a partial eclipse, the experience is completely different. And um, I think I've read what I'm going to say somewhere, but um, and it's one of my favorite metaphors about how you differentiate one from the other. Um, A partial solar eclipse, like the one that was witnessed here in Miami, would be like getting on on a plane and flying. While the total solar eclipse will be like skydiving out of that plane. So one action precedes the other action, but the experience that you leave, that you feel, it's completely different. I'm excited that we're going to be able to share a recording of that experience that one of your colleagues and friends recorded out there in Oregon. You were with a lot of people? Uh, I flew with two colleagues, uh, Dr. Bruno Ferreira and Dr. Enrique Lopez Rodriguez. They both uh, astronomers like me. Uh, we were in an area that there was not that many people around, and though there was quite a few. We were at the Coast Palisades State Park, right outside of Madras, Oregon. Uh, in Madras and closer to Madras, like it was crazy the amount of people there. So we were kind of secluded. The environment was really nice. We were by a river. Uh, that was like um, flowing down a canyon. So it was like really beautiful. Um, I also have to apologize for some expletives in the audio that we're going to be listening to because my colleague didn't really share that he was recording audio. So it was kind of a surprise. But we were really excited that he did because in a way we were able to saw like those raw reactions after we had them. 
I know. I, I like that. I really found it captivating to listen. And we're going to share the entire recording this morning. Are there any other... Was your experience of the total eclipse one that made you want to find your way to the next one? Yeah, I want to experience another total eclipse. I'm not sure that I'll go to the next total eclipse, which is going to be in 2019. Uh, there's actually two, one crossing um, from Chile to Argentina, and there's another one in Asia. But the next one in the United States is actually in 2024, and we'll get into the country down from Mexico in Texas and go up uh, in a diagonal, like to crossing, I think it's Columbus in Ohio and, and up north. And then there's another one that will be similar to this one in in the fact that it will be crossing the whole country from one coast to the other. That will happen in 2045, and that will actually go through Miami. Actually, the path of totality goes through Frost Science, and when that happens, that will be a first for this museum. And if the attendance and the the support by the community was massive uh, for this one that was a partial one, I can only imagine uh, what we'll get when we have a total eclipse here at the museum in 28 years from now. I don't know where I will be then, but it'll be definitely an exciting time to be around here. That sounds pretty cool. Well, let's share this sound of your experience. And uh, after this, we're going to be talking about your science art cinema series at the Frost. And I wish you all the best during this exciting moment in Miami, Jorge. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. All right, here we go. The night right now. Oh yes, yeah, because because so, we're at ninety five percent, ninety ninety five yeah. percent. We're only four minutes away, more or less. Oh. The light is so interesting. What are the things? It's like it's closing it. It's like yeah. oh, close, close for the day. I'm done. I'm done with you guys. <laughs> Give me a break. It's just like a little, little, little uh, It's gonna. Now it's just gonna get darker in my screen. Darker. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Three minutes. There you go, guys. Before we get plunged into darkness. Oh, look. Is it spreading? Yeah, I think it's a little... 
this the uh, gold is like spreading around the sides now. It just got real dark real quick. No, like it just shifted real quick. You see that? The gold light is kind of spreading to the sides of the map. Ooh, look around, look around. Maybe the deer is yeah. Dark it is. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And it's a really nice dark. Yeah, you know? yes, yes. This light is yes. beautiful. Yeah. Perfect photography. Best oh Instagram filter ever. Yeah. <laughs> I look. Wow. <laughs> look at the sun, dudes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Really? It goes. Whoa, whoa. It goes. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's getting dark. Like, what time is it? It's 18. One minute and 50 seconds from totality. The color, oh my god. Look at the color. The color, look at that. Whoa. Look at that. Is that recording? Wow. It's recording. Oh, look, look at the wow, sliver. Look wow. at the miniature sliver now. There's no sun so almost on this side. Like, whoa! This is so amazing. Yeah. I'm freaking out. Wow, wow. Wow! Whoa! Oh, shit! Whoa! Look at the camera, Bruno, Bruno. Look at the camera. Whoa! Okay, okay. It's only, only one dot. There. Oh, one only dot, one, one dot. dot. We're almost dark. Okay. Oh my over, god! Over. Oh. oh shoot, I saw that! Shit, oh, oh, There it is, there it is, look! Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Oh, oh my god! Wow! Whoa! Oh, shit! Oh, shit! Look at this, I'm not taking any pictures, this is stupid. Whoa! Look! Mercury. The planet here. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Ho 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 what the no. oh. Look behind, look at the that canyon. Hold on, control the time because we don't wanna get yeah. You can't even see the 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 Oh my god. Oh my god. Wow. <laughs> Shit. Oh Not many stars though. But it's like look at the corona, look at it's like so beautiful. Oh my god. Control the with the glasses to see yeah, yeah. when Wow. It's so dark. To see what? what? To see when it comes back because you don't wanna now I'm full fully looking at, at it and enjoying and I can see the beads. I think I can see beads. You see that? Okay here, get Yeah yeah, you see that? Like little beads of, of light shining from the sides. Yeah yeah, that's the yeah. corona. Yeah, it's the corona. corona, like yeah. That's the corona. No the what what do they call it? It's got the, there's some the name the name for the bee the jet the protuberance dude this is amazing this is like way better than I ever thought it'd be you're listening to Fresh Art International. We are live streaming on Jolt Radio. And that was an amazing field recording captured secretly just outside of Madras, Oregon. Jorge Perez Gallego was there 
with his colleagues, and the person who recorded that experience was Dr. Bruno Ferreira. I am really excited that we were able to share the total solar eclipse, and now I want to think about, in general, the intersection of art and science at the Frost Museum. They're off to a great start because even before they opened, it's been a while now that they launched this science art cinema series. And I will share with you a few minutes of what it feels like to walk into the planetarium where the Science Art Cinema Festival took place last Thursday night, August 31st. It was the finale for Series 1. Here's the planetarium at the Frost. Patricia Frost Museum of Science, welcome to Frost Planetarium. So tonight we have our final event in the series of Science or Cinema. It's actually a film festival and it actually responds to something that we care about uh, a lot in here in a way. So the planetarium is a great place to take everyone on journeys through space, through the human brain, underwater, but it's also a great canvas that we can open to filmmakers and artists so they can help us push what is being done in planetariums nowadays. 
science or cinema is, you know, in a way, the first attempt of trying to take the planetarium into that place of an intersection between the sciences and the arts. When I was at the festival, I watched 17 short films. The The criteria was that they had to be less than five minutes. And there were all kinds of films about nature and sea level rise. And there were also some great ones about space. And I decided since today's theme was space, the moon and the sun, that we would share with you the soundtracks of a few of those films. So... Let's start with John Aker's film titled First Eyes on the Moon from 2015. John Aker is an animator, video maker, animation teacher, and loves outer space, but he doesn't know exactly if he would want to live there or not. His film is in the category of animation, documentary, science fiction, fantasy, and history. And his statement is, I remember when the first man walked on the moon, a futuristic moment back in our past. So if we describe the film, so you'll know what you might see when you're listening to the track, it's a quirky hand-drawn animation style film with the creative use of an archival audio source. And on our website and on social media, you'll see stills from each of these three films that we're sharing. So here's a listen to First Eyes on the Moon. That's it. The same one in the sky everywhere you go. The moon. I can't believe I'm looking at another world. They say the moon has a face. When I was little, I tried to see the face, but it was all a blur. Then I got glasses and I knew I was seeing craters and mountains, or maybe even great gray seas. We were camping that day. I don't remember much. I just remember how tall the trees were, tall enough to touch the moon, and how we walked up to a cabin to watch it. We were at a camp, and there was forest darkness all around the TV set. Was the moon made of cheese? Was there a man in the moon? As we walked up that path, we didn't know for sure. And then we were inside that little cabin and there was a TV, and we suddenly knew it. A man stepped onto the moon, and it wasn't cheese. It was rock. It was like the rocky mountain path we would soon be walking back to our home in outer space. I grew up watching moonwalkers on TV. And like many other youngsters of the day, I proudly rode my cardboard rocket to the far side of the moon every Saturday morning to serve the space program, testing food snacks for the astronauts under the leadership of the late President John F. Kennedy. But why some say the moon 
And they may well ask. But nobody goes to the moon anymore. Why climb the highest mountain? Why, 35 years ago? The other day, the shadow of the Earth passed over the moon. I was taking pictures of it, and I took this picture. Maybe it was the evening return flight from Moon International, and everybody aboard was sleepy and just wanted to get home, even though they had just seen amazing things that you just can't put into words. Hi there. That was the audio track from John Aker's two-minute, 59-second film, First Eyes on the Moon. The next soundtrack we're going to hear from the Science Art Cinema Festival is the 2017 film After Meteor's Trail by Delfino Huang. Delfino is based in England. He's a self-taught filmmaker who has sought guidance from industry professionals in British film schools and taught himself to do production design, animation, screenwriting, and editing. And he calls himself a bard of the Order of Druids. His ultimate goal being to bring imagination, creativity, and joy to the world with his art. And we've been exchanging a few notes on Facebook, and uh, I hope to meet you someday, Delfino, if you're listening. His piece is in the category of science fiction and adventure. His statement about the film is, it's an animation tribute to the advancement of technology and the spirit of exploration. Kevin Arrow shared with me what drew him to the film. He, he wrote, I enjoyed this fast-changing look at the past, present, and future of transportation and exploration and how well it responds to their Feathers to the Stars exhibition, which is, I believe, Kite's exhibition at the Frost right now. It's one I didn't get to see yet. This animation is super fun to watch. It starts underwater and goes to outer space. Let's listen.
You just heard the soundtrack from Delfino Huang's one-minute, 42nd film, After a Meteor's Trail. Wasn't that gorgeous? Now we're going to bring it home with the film by Michael Ruiz Unger that takes place in Liberty City. That's a neighborhood in Miami that many people know now because it was the setting for Barry Jenkins' 2017 Oscar-winning film titled Moonlight. This is such a cool piece, and Michael got one of the awards that night for one of the best films, and I can't remember which award he got, but congratulations on that. And we'd love to have Michael come in the studio and talk to us about his other pursuit, which is comic books. He's actually the creator of Dark Beach, a sci-fi noir comic series. He's a Miami-based storyteller, filmmaker, and is obviously very talented. His film called Space James was completed in February 2017, and this one is in the category of drama, science fiction, and fantasy. And his statement, very simply, is a young boy explains why his nickname is Space James. There's something very special about this Miami-made film that is very poetic for Kevin Arrow is that it's a shout-out to the old Miami Science Museum Space Transit Planetarium because some of the sound and sights are from there. So let's listen to Space James. My name is Kamal Ingbello. I live with my mom and dad and my five sisters inside Liberty City. People call me Space James. After school, I go to the park downtown just to shoot around, play some basketball. Have some time to myself. Give me some time alone from the world. My favorite subject in school is science. Just think about the stars, the, the moon, no gravity. It's just some alone time, just like the basketball court, if I was just to ever go up there. Those were the first few minutes of the soundtrack from Miami-based Michael Ruiz Unger's four-minute drama titled Space James. Stay tuned for updates on the Science Art Cinema series and other initiatives that connect art and science at the Frost Museum We are really happy that we were able to distract you for a while from Hurricane Irma. For our local listeners, I hope you enjoyed this look back, this summoning of the total eclipse experience that took place on 21 August 2017. As a finale for this show, I decided I would love to share with you 
the instrumental version of that soundtrack by Mickey DeGrand IV. He is the composer of this beautiful piece, and we're going to play it in its entirety, all four minutes, the soundtrack, instrumental version of Space James. That was beautiful, wasn't it? The instrumental from Space James. We were drifting off in our thoughts about this composer, Mickey DeGrand IV. I understand that he's a longtime friend of Jolt Radio's and connected with various monikers, including Psychic Mirrors and Kabuki Iron Colors and the 
energy behind the Cosmic Chronic record label, John is telling me. Yeah, we, we, we've known each other for a long time, and, uh, and I remember, you know, we used to hang out at, at Fox's Lounge, and we would have, like, very intimate conversations because not a lot of people would support or still don't support local talent and don't believe in local talent as, as much as I do, and, and, I, and I know talent when I see it, you know. Uh, I guess it's more like a real, recognized, real uh, kind of thing, and... And we we kicked it off because I was just starting Jolt Radio way back like eight years ago, and I remember I was like, "Man, you gotta send me all that stuff that he was putting out at the moment." And he was like, "You know, like, are you serious? Like, damn, that's cool. You know, like, hardly anybody would ask me for for my stuff." And you know, uh, my brother and I at the time were also doing a lot of music, so it was uh, it was it was very cool to to see that. You know, and 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 bond with somebody else that was doing something similar to to give to the city. Uh, awesome times, uh, and rest in peace, Fox's Lounge. Man, that was cool. Yeah, well, it was great to share that as the finale for the show. Yeah, <laughs> thanks I for guess. the little backstory, John. Eclipse version. This is fresh art. I'm Kathy Bird. The 50th anniversary of NASA's Apollo 11 moon landing inspires us to revisit a live studio show that we streamed on Jolt Radio for the first time, September 6, 2017. To learn more and hear other voices and sounds of today's art and culture, visit our website. Please take a few minutes to review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Instagram. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, the International Association of Curators of Contemporary Art, and listeners like you make this oral history project possible. On our site, you'll find the opportunity to support our stories. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.